Trekkies, and welcome to Trek Freaks, a part of the Geek Freaks podcast family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek, starting with the original series. My name is John, and I'll be one of your hosts, joined by my good friend and co-host, Kevin. Hey. How's it going, Kevin? Oh, it's going great. This episode's going to be a fun one to talk about. I'm excited. Nice. What episode are we reviewing today? We're talking about the original series, Season 1, Episode 16, The Galileo 7. Nice. All right. So before we dive into that, I got to ask you a question. All right. If you're on the Enterprise and you're going to go on an away mission, uh, what kind of preparation would you do in advance? What kind of preparation? So... I would make sure that there were plenty of phasers on board in case we need an alternate fuel source, because evidently that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like it. Security. Um, seat belts on the, the, the seats mm-hmm. might be necessary. I don't think any of the ones on the shuttle had anything mm, here. True. Um, and people that trust my command, if I'm the one leading, <laughs> leading the, 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 the away mission. Okay. I like it. I think that'd be the most important thing. Yeah. I would make sure uh, engineering does a full, like, inspection on the shuttlecraft because that's kind of, I mean, we see this one goes great, but uh, I don't know. You check the tires before you go on a vacation, right? So, I'd want a full audit done on our shuttlecraft. Uh, And then you got to make sure you have all the proper resources to survive. So, like, uh, energy source, assuming you crash that on the planet, you don't have a way to make, you know shelter or create energy stuff like that so food energy water um like you're saying phasers to defend yourselves uh communication devices like i mean oh yes plenty of those stock all the essentials also one thing that we see we are lacking in in, uh, starfleet is research of nearby planets or of your mission you're about to do you guys gotta you know dig in a little bit maybe have a conference meeting like hey guys this is what we're gonna do this is what we should expect this is what we could possibly encounter I don't know. A little bit of preparedness would be great. Yeah. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more in relation to this episode, but like, especially with a quasar and why that was such a big thing for them. Yeah. Yeah, Do you you know what a quasar is? Because I don't. No, I'm right there. Mm, I (laughs) I was hoping you did. I should have Googled it. I don't know. It looks like some kind of (laughs) crazy gaseous anomaly, but I don't know. The, The visuals look cool from this, at least remastered version. I was going to say they with the remastered version, it's obviously not what they would have done in the original <laughs> iteration of this episode, but the remastered uh, special effects in this episode were freaking great. Yeah, especially uh, we'll get to it later, but the, the plasma trail of the shuttle is like, oh, yeah, that cannot be from the 60s. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. So I think now it is time for our warp speed recap. On a routine mission to deliver much-needed medical supplies, the Enterprise stops to study a fascinating anomaly. An away team uh, takes a shuttlecraft to get a closer look. Unfortunately, this anomaly uh, wreaks havoc with their sensors. Like a hot air balloon in the storm, this shuttle is pulled into the anomaly and makes an emergency landing on the only M-Class planet. With no sensor readings, the Enterprise has almost no hope of finding them. Planet side, the shuttle is out of fuel. The uh, away team is being attacked by local creatures, and the crew continues to challenge Spock's leadership. Two crewmen are killed by these creatures, while repairs to the shuttle are being made. Scotty is able to convert the energy from their phasers into fuel for the ship, but this now leaves them defenseless. Uh, out of time, the Enterprise is forced to abandon search and continue on their course to deliver medical supplies. The away team are uh, once again under attack, retreat into the shuttle and launch. Now in orbit, they have about 45 minutes of fuel, but still no communication with the Enterprise. Spock decides to dump their fuel, making one big burn. Uh, As soon as the fuel is burned, their orbit begins to decay, and they will soon burn up in re-entry through the planet's atmosphere. With but a withering gleam of hope in his eyes, Sulu continues to monitor the planet as they carry away from it. He sees something. Captain, that can't be a meteor. It's holding a lateral line. Clever, uh, clever Spock, he thought. That fuel burn left a visible green plasma trail. The shuttle now hurtles towards the planet, being, uh, beginning to burn up. The transporters are able to snatch the crew out just in time. The shuttle is disintegrated, but the five surviving crewmen are safely aboard the Enterprise. Kirk looks uh, deeply satisfied. Kirk uh, later pokes, pokes fun at Spock 
for what he thinks was an emotional decision, while Spock defends that in some cases, an act of desperation is logical. The crew's mission continues. So that was a that was a fun episode. I mean, I enjoyed that episode. What did you What did you think of it? Yeah, no, I liked it. I there was a couple things I didn't care for in the episode, but overall, the whole episode I think was well written, well you know laid out, and, and timing and everything. It was it was pretty good. Yeah. I liked it. It was one of one of my better one of my you know more favorite episodes of what we have reviewed so far for sure. I really wish they could have remastered the way that the creatures on the planet looked. <laughs> yeah, that was my big drawback is not only do we not really see them much, but the one time we do kind of see one, it's just like he's wearing a fur coat. It's just like a guy. It, it reminds me of the the savage that he that uh, Pike fights in yeah. the cage on in that castle. It's like it's just a big brute in a fur coat we don't see any kind of definition and you know maybe he's supposed to look like a bear but we don't see a face and he just kind of hunches over for his attack which is kind of lame yeah. uh, it's just i get they don't have much budget and um, i don't know where they put all of it in this episode but yeah it, that, that part was disappointing but other than that the story was great oh i know where they put the budget for this episode they made a shuttlecraft they had a whole new set for this right. whole thing and, you know, limited animation that they had back then, obviously remastered now, but they probably dumped some money into trying to make some kind of animation happen for the shuttle to yeah. launch. What did you think of the shuttlecraft? Because this is the first time that we've seen a shuttlecraft in the original series. I yeah, I liked it. I mean, it, uh, obviously, we're looking at a remastered version of it. I don't think they could do anything close to this originally, but it looked it looked very simple, very plain. Like, you know, practically a cardboard box, like the walls were flat and smooth and, you know, not a lot of definition. But for what they had to work with, I thought it yeah. was pretty cool. Just the fact that they could conceive the fact that they're going to need shuttlecrafts on a large ship like that was uh, pretty cool. So, I liked it. Let's, uh, let's break this down scene by scene. All right. Let's do the, re or, uh, yeah, scene by scene analysis. Uh, so, we start on the bridge. Uh, we have uh, Kirk is talking with the Galactic High Commissioner, <laughs> Ferris. Yeah. So, he's the guy that's overseeing this transport of medical supplies. He's going to this colony that this or this planet that's got a plague and they're, they're all, you know, dying and they desperately need this medical supply. So, this guy, his responsibility is to make sure it gets to where it's going on time and he can override the captain at a certain point. So, uh, we see he's always just kind of there hovering over Kirk and putting pressure on him to hurry up and uh, get his get his mission complete no matter what it costs from Kirk and his crew. What in the actual hell is a Galactic High Commissioner? Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking <laughs> uh, what is the what's the guy that's in charge of the Ferengi? Um, oh, oh, uh, uh, oh shit. Grand Magus. Grand Magus. Yeah, Grand that's Magus. What, that's what the title reminded me. I was like, is there a Federation Grand Magus? <laughs> like, what the heck? Um, yeah, I, I don't think I've never heard of it before. I don't know if we ever see a title like that again in Star Trek, but yeah, I think they were still trying to find their footing with whatever the Federation and or Starfleet actually is. So it's like, let's make this guy sound important. Give him a title like Galactic High Commissioner and we'll just yeah, yeah we'll fix it and in it post. <laughs> it might be that uh, Starfleet when they have or the Federation when they have special needs, they commission somebody or, you know, give them the authority over a specific you know, responsibility. Like, hey, this planet's suffering. We need you to gather these resources and get them to this planet. And so, for a short time, he has supreme authority over making that happen or something. Yeah. I mean, we've I seen know. in other iterations of Star Trek that when they're on, like, special missions that somebody can take control of the situation. Like, if there's an admiral on board and the mm -hmm. admiral's on a specific mission, the admiral has the right to overrank the captain on their ship. I mean, obviously, yeah. the admirals of a higher rank anyway than captain, but we see, we see that kind of stuff happen in Star Trek from time to time. I just thought the title of Galactic High Commissioner was just a little too out there. Yeah, but I do like that the higher rank doesn't immediately mean they take control when they walk on the bridge. Right. The captain is still captain of his vessel until a certain justifying need comes up that gives the, the higher ranking officer the authority to take over command. Yeah. Um, so it's not, you know, not an immediate slap in the face, at least when he walks on on the bridge. Uh, so we see the Galileo launch, which, like you're saying, was the first time we ever saw a shuttlecraft period in Star Trek. Uh, but it, it it 
was kind of we were watching a remastered version, so it's hard to really judge it. It, it just looks kind of like janky and funny and boxy. I imagine they're trying to imitate the original version, which was probably a prop on strings. What do you think? Yeah. I, well, I mean, we kind of see a built version of it when they get down, when they make their emergency landing on the planet. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember because I did watch the original version of this probably 15, 16 years ago. And I remember the shuttlecraft looking not great. <laughs> But yeah. I was also, you know, a lot younger and a lot more judgmental than I am as I just went to town on Galactic High Commissioner. <laughs> not, not judgmental <laughs> at all. Right. All right. So, almost immediately after they launch the uh, Galileo, the shuttlecraft, once it's separated from Enterprise, they lose, uh, they lose communication. All of their sensor readings get jammed by the, the quasar-like anomaly. And they had a name for the anomaly. I oh yeah, it's a Makas. Oh, how am I gonna say that? <laughs> Morisaki three twelve. Yeah. I was, I almost said that totally wrong. Um, so yeah, so as, pretty much as soon as they're separated from Enterprise, they lose communications and they they lose control of the shuttle. So I gotta ask, why did they launch a shuttlecraft in the first place? Couldn't they just study this anomaly from the Enterprise, bring it a little bit closer, maybe? Yeah, so their instruments were down and I guess they felt the need to investigate it due to their standing order and the only way they could get any kind of readings or anything is to fly into it. Yeah. It yeah, seems I can see that. Like like you're saying, they can't scan it. They notice that their systems aren't reading, so they think maybe we could just send this shuttle. It'll fly inside, get observations, and maybe short-range sensors would do some readings and right. then come back. Um Oh, yeah, we see that doesn't work. As soon as it's separated, they lose communication. The shuttle loses control and has to do an emergency landing on the only M-class planet that happens to be at the middle of the, the phenomenon. Uh, so when they, they crash land, they're kind of bruised up and banged up. One guy's got a bloody nose, but for the most part, they're okay. Uh, Scotty starts assessing the condition of the shuttlecraft right away. He lets them know that, hey, we're, we're mostly out of fuel. Um. And he also tells me they'd have to to lose lose or offload about 500 pounds of weight from the shuttle to even be able to launch with what fuel they have. Yeah. And right away, I think it was Spock that or was it Spock that equated that to three uh, bodies, three grown men. And then Bones is like, or it's the equivalent weight in technology or something like that equipment. And um, yeah, that was kind of funny that Bones, uh, not funny. I mean, interesting. Bones is immediately trying to think like, how can we preserve life? We could dump a bunch of this tech and keep somebody alive. And Spock is thinking rationally like, well, we're probably not all going to make it. We're going to have to dwindle down, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few kind of thing. So, if a couple have to stay behind. He's like, yeah, we need all the, the instruments and stuff on this to be able to take back, to be able to fly past orbit, but we don't necessarily need every person. It does yeah. seem like it would be easy to remove... 500 pounds i mean start with the chairs first of all you don't need chairs yes that was gonna be my first thing <laughs> like and they look like they got knobs on the sides for adjustment so i'm right. pretty sure if you just spin those off you don't even need tools you can just take those off, by off. Hand. exactly yeah sit on the floor you guys will live you can keep one more body alive if you remove six chairs out of the shuttle or however many right and yeah I, as we've seen now in star trek lower decks it's possible to remove the outer hull I don't know if mm -hmm. that technology exists on shuttlecraft from the 23rd century or 20. Yeah, the 23rd century. But I, I don't know. It seems like there would be enough of a way to get rid of 500 pounds without resorting to immediately thinking, yeah, let's just leave three dudes behind. Yeah. And like um, a lot of their their technology is covered by um, bulkheads, like panels that you pull off and you access all the electronics behind right. it or whatever. Rip off all the bulkheads, chuck them outside. Like you save probably ten pounds per panel or something like that. Like At least, yeah. Strip it, strip it down to bare bones. If yeah. you're not going to use those phasers, toss those out too. The little compartment the phasers came in, break it off, throw it out too. Like shed some weight one way or another. Everybody yeah. can take their clothes off except for the underwear, throw them outside. Something. <laughs> I, that was my like third or fourth <laughs> thought as well. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> I, I'm surprised they didn't go that route just to get people down to their underwear in the in the 60s on TV, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so another thing I, I noted is that that should be a, a class at the Starfleet Academy is how to build a fuel converter because luckily Scotty found a way to convert their 
phaser energy into a fuel for the ship. But you would think maybe, I mean, they're on an M-class planet, so there's going to be some kind of minerals and fuel sources somewhere on the planet. If only they could scan for them, it would help. But if you could build something, now we don't have replicators yet, but once we get replicators, uh, build something that can convert rocks into oil or into, you know, methanol or whatever it is that they can use as a fuel source for their shuttle. You'd think that there'd be something on board or that if they foresee the need for shuttlecrafts, they would mm-hmm. be able to foresee that some of the things that could happen while aboard said shuttlecraft. So you'd think that there'd be something in place to kind of make up for some of that. But, you know, yeah. it, they also need a reason for plot to, to be stranded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So on the planet, uh, there's two two crewmen are uh, patrolling the area where they hear that that grinding noise. Um, one of them gets impaled right away by a giant spear. So <laughs> <laughs> those spears were were comical. I don't know. To me, they seemed like they weren't weighted; like they were just all foam, like um, like a pool noodle. Yeah. The way you throw them, and they just kind of fly sideways. Uh, so I think just adding, you know, hollow out the the tip and put a baseball in there or something to give it some weight. So when you chuck it, it'll follow the point. But aside from that, I mean, I get it. They had to have have a prop, and they make them cheap. Yeah. Uh, but that that grinding noise, what did that sound like to you? I honestly don't know. I thought it would have been some like weird avian like creature, like a bird or a, like a weird dinosaur looking thing or something. Yeah, they tried to describe later on that it, the sound that they were hearing was, uh, I think Spock said it was like uh, wood rubbing against leather. Right. And I was like, okay, are they like rubbing on their shields? Like are they beating their shields? But it's like it sounds like a, a grinding like almost nails on a chalkboard and it took me forever to think about it like what would they use to create that sound because i couldn't recognize it I was like maybe it's like a pencil sharpener sharpening or something oh. like that that little bit of a kind of crunchy grindy squeaky i don't know it was an odd sound but to me it didn't really sound intimidating so much it didn't sound like what these creatures looked like so in in the remastering of this i probably would have changed that to be something a little more I don't know, scary, eerie. Yeah, with the attention to detail that they put in remastering a lot of the, the visual effects, you'd think that yeah. they would have changed some of the audio as well, but eh. Yeah, so that was just one of the, another part of why these these creatures on this planet, I was really just not happy with their uh, quality and, you know, when you do see them, they don't look scary or intimidating or don't have detail to them at all, so. Right. Uh, yeah, it was kind of disappointing. Uh, so on the Enterprise, they are like out of options pretty much. They don't know what to do. They're, it looks like it's hopeless because they're going to have to search space pretty much blind without <laughs> without their sensors all around this this uh, anomaly. And it would take you know years and years. So they just they're sending people out different directions. Say hey, try to find them. Uh, so yeah, it's it pretty much seems hopeless but kirk is desperate and trying anything he can find i think kirk said something like it would make uh finding a needle in a haystack child's play or something along those lines (laughs) and i thought about that when he said that i was like you know that'd be an interesting um like challenge for children i guess or for for like a, a an early physics class or something is uh challenge kids to think of ways to find a needle in a haystack because there's probably you know a dozen different ways you could do it But it would just be a good practice to think outside the box. Yeah, I I like that. Yeah. Um, All right. So then we go back to the planet. We see Spock and Scotty are uh, trying to repair the shuttle. Uh, I think this was just after one of the guys. Yeah. The one guy that got harpooned. Um, They wanted to bury him. And it was this whole thing where Spock is like, hey, we got work to do. We need to get this shuttle running if you want to live. And that one of the crewmen's like, hey, you know, you need to come out here and say some some words and do a burial service for this guy. Spock's not having it. Even even McCoy is pushing back at him like, hey, that's your role. You need to go do that. But he he doesn't want to do it because it doesn't make sense to him. It's not logical to waste time mourning somebody when the rest of you are still about to die if you don't get off the planet. Um, so, I don't know. That was kind of an interesting, interesting uh, play between them, I think, because it's just a perspective of Spock's, you know, Vulcan mindset of survival versus their morality i think that just does that that's from their culture and not his is what it is well you see in movies and tv shows all the time where people want to be able to mourn but they're still in the line of duty and don't have the time to right then 
Um, I think this episode kind of missed the point of that discussion because in this situation, I think Spock is absolutely correct. If you're behind enemy lines, you don't take the time to do any of that. You do what you can to get everybody else that's alive out of there. And then you have whatever service later on. I, that might just be my opinion. It might be like my, my computer brain <laughs> malfunctioning, yeah. but I, I, that's, that's my opinion on it is that Spock is absolutely right. Yeah, I agree. If you could grab like a memento from the guy, something that he cared about if he was wearing a certain necklace or, or a ring or something, something to bring back to his family. Great. Grab that stuff in your pocket and you got to go. If you can come back for the body later when it's safe, then yeah, you do that. But right now there's a good chance none of you are going to survive. So whatever you say over him, there's not going to be anybody to say over you. Yeah. And the whole so, thing was just a plot device for there to be some sort of uh yeah, trife between them. Yeah, to be able to lead into the same exact discussion later on when another crew member ends up dying. And then, yeah, it's yeah. Ju- just to be able to have that conflict there. But it was a very poorly conceived conflict, I think, yeah. in this yeah. instance. I get, Yeah, I get what they were going with it, but it, it probably could have been done. It could have been uh, clarified a little more. Why? Because right. I think they did kind of paint Spock out to be a jerk in this because everybody was against him. Right. Except for Scotty, who was just like focused on his job, which is great. But and that's where uh, everybody yeah. should have been. was just focused on trying to get out of there. And I think that was what Spock's point was. Yeah. 100% agree with Spock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they start hearing that grinding noise, like these creatures getting closer. So uh, after the crew voices their opinions. Uh, Spock decides to d- decides that they need to shoot some phaser fire towards these guys in the direction without killing them, but to scare them off. Uh, so he goes with two of the crewmen and they go to an area where they're hearing it. And they do that. They fire in that direction uh, and it seems to quiet them down. So they think that they're scared off. One guy stays behind and the other you know, Spock and the other crewmen go back to the shuttle. Uh, and then that's where we hear that Scotty's devised a way to convert the phaser power uh, energy into fuel for the shuttle so which is great but this also means that they don't have phasers once they do that before they got to this part there was the 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 little conversation with uh the two crewmen that were with spock they wanted to attack they wanted to kill Mm -hmm. the creatures and spock wanted to uh to to veer them away and try to i cannot think of words right now (laughs) try to scare them away um yeah but even before that there was a little conversation of should we go on the offensive or no? And it was very reminiscent of a couple episodes ago where they were having the the same discussion about the Romulans, whether or not they should attack the Romulans or not. And yeah. everybody assumed Spock was going to be against attacking. And in both instances, he's like, no, we, sh- we should definitely go and do that. Yeah. So like, it does make sense to do that. But he was leery or he was worried because humans, the human mentality on why they're going forward and going to make a assertive stance or a forward aggressive, aggressive attack was very different than his. Right. His was, if you go over here and you, you scare them, they're going to go away and we'll have time to do our work and we'll get off their planet with little casualties. The humans being emotional and mad that their, their um, crewman has been murdered, they want to go over there and just kill as many of these enemies as they can. Right. But you got to keep in mind, we're on their planet. They don't know who we are. We come in weird uniforms with weird technology. And as far as I understand, our presence is an attack on their culture. So, And in this case, Spock was kind of wrong because they're, they're like the sand people from Star Wars. They quickly returned and in greater numbers. Yeah. So it was uh, Spock was I don't think Spock did anything wrong at, at, at all, <laughs> given the information that he had. Yeah. But it just turned out that they came back a lot quickly, a lot more quickly than Spock assumed that they were going to. Yeah. And Spock points out that like he's so disappointed in how humans uh, have such a disregard for for life, for other life. Like they'll fight to the bone to save a human, but to save other creatures, they don't care. So they're willing to just start shooting them left and right. That's a fair point. Yeah. But... You know, in this instance, too, they they shoot phasers in random directions to scare these creatures away. But if they didn't and they decide to go head forward and attack like the two other crewmen wanted to, it could have easily gone sideways on them. And instead of these creatures getting scared and leaving, as soon as they see one of their crewmen or one of their, you know, people die, that could be like a martyr and fuel to the fire. And they just start charging and overwhelm them by numbers. Right. And we later find that this planet is covered with these creatures because the... people that are surveying and trying to find them. So I think it was good that they walk slow and, and uh, are careful about 
how they proceed, I guess. Walk softly and carry a big stick. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> Though their stick isn't quite big enough. <laughs> uh, okay, so then, yeah, the, the on the Enterprise, they get word that the transporters are finally working, so Kirk plans on beaming down uh, multiple search parties onto the planet. This, again, I, I, I don't know about Kirk's judgment. I get he's, I think he's responding emotionally because he lost a handful of crew members, especially Spock, one of his best friends. But you're endangering a lot of other lives mm-hmm. to save seven. You are putting, you know, small away teams all over this unknown planet in the middle of this quasar-like thing where you have no sensor readings. So you could easily lose contact with every one of those away mission away teams that you send out. Yeah. So the more teams I, that they send out, the more people that could die or get lost, and they'll be in the same situation multiplied by however many teams they send out. Yeah, so I I just didn't agree with that. I think keep everybody on on the Enterprise. If it goes down, everybody goes down together. But you know, keep doing laps. Maybe send out buoys or a satellite you know device that can go around and scan the planet while you're there. If they had that technology, it's it's like the horror movie trope of should we split up or should we stay together? They always split up. It's like no, do not do that. <laughs> stay together, of course. Right. <laughs> stay it on is- the Enterprise and do what you can from there before losing more people yeah there's power in numbers and we even see on the planet surface when the guys keep splitting up then the ones by themselves are the ones that die mm-hmm. which brings me to the uh, i think it was the next scene uh when the after the two crewmen and spock scared them all away they start going back toward where they were and the one guy that spock forced behind to stay there <laughs> which why but they, yeah. they 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 kill him why did Spock order him to stay there? What what yeah. logical sense does that make? <laughs> and he and he didn't say if you hear the noise again, fire in this direction or right. do anything to to keep that line. He didn't. He just said, "You stay here. We're going to go back over to the shuttle." So that yeah. seemed, in my mind, that guy was like either bait, like a sacrifice. Here, you guys can have one of ours so that we can, can finish our work. Or a speed bump, like they will come and attack him, and it'll <laughs> slow them down a little bit. Oh, like the, ch- the the fat guy in the zombie movie. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna get consumed, but we'll we'll still have a little more time to get out of here. <laughs> you don't yeah, have I to felt- outrun the bear; you just have to outrun the <laughs> slowest guy with you. <laughs> exactly. And this guy was the most mouthy, I think. Well, him, the, the two of the guys were both very disrespectful or didn't agree with Spock. So I think that's why he he got left behind his bait. Oh man, that's. I, I'd like to think that this is going to be my official headcanon for the episode is that they were planning his surprise birthday party <laughs> so he couldn't be around. It wasn't like something it. stupid like leaving him behind because Spock's an idiot or because they were leaving him for bait. They were planning a surprise birthday party. I like it. And I think it's easier for Spock to work back at the shuttle with just one person who doesn't agree with him versus two because those two kept conspiring against him. Right. So he's like, we'll make a lot more progress if one of you just is somewhere else for a while. Well, that makes sense from a leadership standpoint. Like if you've got two people that are like kind of talking about overthrowing you, the best mm-hmm. way to make that possible is to not let them communicate. So, yeah, it's uh, like, it, yeah, if one of them has to die. It's OK. I mean, I, I wouldn't <laughs> go need... that far personally, but <laughs> <laughs> well, he's also he's also thinking rationally. I need to shed 500 pounds from the ship yeah. and I'm going to have to pick a few of you that stay behind to die anyways. So I'm going to go ahead and do my preliminary <laughs> picking. Now, if you can survive out here by yourself, you're a keeper, <laughs> <laughs> but if you can't, sorry, but <laughs> yeah. How many of those deaths were intentional? Spock trying to shed 500 pounds from the, the yeah. shuttle, man. Yeah. Oof. Because then, and then he can blame it on these creatures and not his, you know, authority to decide who stays behind because that would be a really hard choice to make. Right. I mean, you go to launch the shuttle and you say, well, these three guys are going to stay. They're going to kick you out and they're all going to try to launch with too much weight and then everybody's going to die. Yeah. It's not, it's all bad. Uh, so they, they return back and they get the phasers um, and they're, they give them to Scotty to convert into fuel for the ship. Come back, they find that, 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 uh, what's his name? Like you were just saying, I have his name in here. Gaetano is the guy. Oh, okay. He, yeah, he was killed by one of these creatures. And so we see him get attacked and killed by this creature. And I, that bothered me like the most because the creature is just so not thought out. I think like they, they could have done a lot more to make a scary or interesting alien creature for us to 
to witness killing this guy. Yeah. But it just looked like a, a really tall, big person with a fur coat. Like, even by late 60s TV standards, that had to look bad, right? Yeah. I mean, like, it had to. Like, they, it's like they just didn't want to create a character for this. They didn't show them any other time. They showed their weapons, uh, the, the harpoons and or spears, and a big shield. Oh, they never that was showed... a giant shield. Yeah. But they never show them until this one scene where you see the guy's back. And it looks just kind of like a bear, right? I mean, it's very little humanoid features anyways. Except, for, you know, he's he's kind of walking like a a tall Frankenstein kind of stumble, but... He's doing the he, bear t- trick of trying to make himself look bigger by, like, sticking his arms up in the air, yeah. like, puffing out his chest. I, it was, like, <laughs> the actor's way of trying to seem like... Because they said that they're, like, 10 or 12 feet tall. Obviously, yeah. there's no human that's 10 or 12 feet tall. So... Trying to look like a 10 or 12 foot tall monster is why didn't yeah. they they used a mannequin in the Corbomite maneuver. They could have made <laughs> something for this something something I mean, even just just change your description a little bit and make reuse the costume. Like I was saying from the cage, the guy that he had to fight that was close enough. Kind of you know, disfigure his face in a different way or something. Yeah. And you got a still threatening alien creature, but. That shield looked like it was way too big for even a creature that was 10 or 12 feet tall. But we see that this guy's not 10 or 12 feet tall. And the shield that was dropped is like bigger than the dude that was walking, the creature that was walking up to kill Gaetano. So it's It's like at least a full body shield. Like that was head to toe at least. I know we're for 12 feet. We're ripping into the 60s uh, (laughs) practical effects. But man, they're so bad in this episode. Glaringly bad. And other than that, it was a good episode, but that one thing just really just kind of ruined the magic. Like, just I don't know, make a better character. Even, yeah, like you're saying, back in the 60s with practical effects, you could have done almost anything. Like, glue some shark teeth onto a person's face and give them a weird colored robe, and that's a vicious animal. <laughs> right. Not that, not that hard. And the way he killed, the way it killed Gaetano, it just like walked up to him and just like laid on him, and then he was dead. Yeah. Yep. Like, yeah. They could have done something similar to how they did in Shore Leave when the Black Knight killed McCoy. Oh, yeah. Like the, the camera cut away and you hear, ah, 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 and then yeah. the camera cuts and McCoy's down on the ground. I, we didn't talk about that at all in Shore Leave because it didn't matter. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was just yeah. what they needed to do to convey the information. They could have done something very similar in this instance and they didn't. Yeah. And we're supposed to see these characters, these creatures to look kind of like bears. And they make this roaring noise and they throw harpoons. When we see his body later, we don't see any kind of wounds. Any, did he, you know, eat his heart? Did he, did he cut him up? Did he stab him? Did he bite him? No, he's just laying across a rock, you know, limp. So it's like, there should have been a scene, like you're saying, a close up on his face, blood kind of splattering on him. Like, like this, you know, this thing's eating him from the kidneys up or something. Right. <laughs> but I don't know. That was just, I don't know if it was writing or. Uh, Rushed production, maybe. Yeah. Because they had to pump out episodes at a certain amount of time, so. Ask for volunteers, guys. We'll come out there. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> even born yet, but my dad yeah. was still a baby, but still. <laughs> I was going to say, I think my, my, my dad was like five years old when this episode aired, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, moving from here on, if you guys, you know, need some advice or some volunteers to help with some costumes and stuff, just call. I'll come down. We got this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, okay, so where was I at? I'm totally lost <laughs> in my notes Oh, now. does it, does it matter? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so Ga- Gaetano died. Uh, I know they find him and they, they bring his body back. Coming back, I think it was when Spock was coming back, these, the creatures followed him. Uh, cause yeah, Spock, Spock went out to retrieve him by himself. Yeah. Uh, cause they found the, yeah, they found the phaser. Spock continues and tells the other guys, go back to the shuttle and he finds Gaetano by himself brings him back but when he brings him back the creatures follow and then they start attacking the shuttle uh or not mccoy um scotty has his bright idea or between him and spock decide that they can use some of the fuel from the ship to electrify the hull so when the creatures are attacking it shocks them scares them off which we don't even see we just kind of i think we see lights flash from the inside of the shuttle it's like somebody was operating like a welder off camera is what the flashing looked like right so, yeah, it gives them a little bit of time, and then from there, they launch. Oh, before they launch, uh, Spock was attacked. At some- oh, you're right. Yeah, I skipped a scene. 
Uh, so yeah, the creatures the creatures back away, right? And then they they have more time because they needed another was it like another ten more minutes to charge the batteries fully. Something I think. like that, yeah. Yeah, and the guys the the crew wanted to go bury Gaetano, and so he's like, okay, well you guys got it's it's eight minutes till the batteries are full. Spock says you got ten minutes until we launch. So okay, we're gonna go out there and they start doing their thing. Well, they hear the roaring. These creatures come back and they attack in full force. They throw a rock at. Um, spock and it lands on his foot now he's he's like pinned he's telling the guys no 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 go go without me you need a launch get out of here and they're like no no we're gonna stop and and so they go back and save him and later on he even kind of makes fun of them uh he he tells them like you guys shouldn't have gone back you 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 know damned yourselves or risked your lives just to save me and you know you should have looked out for yourself pretty much uh but i thought that was kind of funny and they i i don't remember did they have a comeback for that though I don't remember either. McCoy said something. I do know that. He said something along the lines of, yeah, it wasn't logical, but we were emotional, blah, blah, blah. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. I'm jumping around a lot in the story right now, too. But That's good, man. That, we <laughs> always do that. That's kind of like the, the description of this podcast is jumping around talking about Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. So, so at this time, uh, we go back to the Enterprise and we see that the, the commissioner's telling him, hey, telling Kirk, you're out of time, bud. It's time to go. And the Kirk's like, okay, well, you know, I still got people out searching. And he's like, yeah, I know, but stop dilly-dallying. You need to recall all your people, get them back on the ship. We're going to go. We've got to leave right now. And so Kirk, unfortunately, has to give the order. He tells, um, I think he tells Yeoman or tells uh, Sulu, hey, you know, call them back. As soon as they're back, we're going to start heading in the direction towards uh, our delivery of medical supplies. And so he's really begrudging about it. He does tell Sulu, though, to go at a standard space speed or something like that. Something very, yeah, something yeah. non-descriptive. Which is like, oh, that's not even, that's not even impulse or not even, you know, warp one. So, he's like, we're going to go, we're going to make our way, but we're going to go nice and slow. Like, you can't tell me how fast I need to fly my ship. Uh, so, back on the planet, they they uh, reduce the, the weight of the ship enough. Oh, yeah, so that that's where I skipped back and forth a little bit. So, they have the whole wanting to bury Gaetano and they get attacked. And so they're able to launch. They hurry up and get back in the ship after, after uh, Spock gets squished by a rock and whatnot. And they take off. And once they're in orbit, they have only 45 minutes worth of fuel. And so they're trying to hail the Enterprise, not getting any response, nothing like that. Then Spock makes this ballsy move where he just goes ahead and just dumps all their fuel. He's just going to let it all out at once. It gives them this big burst, this, Really cool, well animated, uh, like plasma trail behind him. It looked so good for it. It didn't look like the rest of this episode. It was clearly <laughs> part of the remaster. That definitely stood out, yeah. Uh, and so that was a good call because then Sulu, you know, still scanning the ship as they fly away. I'm sorry, scanning the planet, trying to watch for something, sees that green streak across the planet. And he's like, wait a minute, that's not a comet. That's got to be, you know, a ship. That's got to be something man made. And so, Kirk gives the order to turn around and go back, and as the shuttle is, because they used all their fuel, now they're quickly going back into um, a decaying orbit, so they're going to crash into the planet and burn up in the atmosphere. So, just in time, before their shuttle is destroyed, they're able to get beamed out back on Enterprise, and the five crewmen are safe and sound. That was pretty good. But yeah, I like that, that animation, that remastered animation, obviously. Uh, and I gotta, I gotta bring up the old original episodes and do some side by sides every once in a while. Yeah, that plasma trail looked really much better than its time for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my big hang up with this episode is if they were on a time limit, but in order to be able to still make the time constraint of two days to get to the planet to drop off the medical supplies at going space normal space speed and not going warp or whatever. Yeah. Why couldn't they have just stayed there for another day and then go warp afterward to make up for the lost time of going a slower speed? Like, where's the balance there and how time how strict was that time constraint? Yeah, I think Spot or I think uh, Kirk was just going to be defiant and say, hey, we're going to be late. We're we're in course, you know, we're going the right way, but I'm going to end up being a day late because I got to go slow for, you know, whatever reason and make an excuse or warp drives are offline or something like that, probably. That brings me to my next question. How likely is it that Kirk would actually be like, okay, screw these guys on another planet that are dying from a freaking plague. 
mm-hmm. and I'm going to get my my crewmen back. Like yeah, it's a so, whole planet dying of a plague. Yeah, and he could he could defy this commissioner's um, orders and stay there, but it, it, that's right. You're comparing the life of a whole planet there, or you know whoever is to survive once you give them the medicine versus the life of five crewmen or what they thought was originally at least seven crewmen. Uh, so that is that is hard to justify, but you have these five or seven crewmen in your hand. They're your friends. They're you know Spock among them. So versus a planet full of people you don't know and we've seen time and time again where these medical supplies deliveries are actually uh biological warfare and stuff so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) try to justify save your own people let somebody else save the other ones but yeah that's just it just seems so counter to what starfleet is to me even in the original series they're all about humanitarian efforts and stuff it's just like just just do your job and then go back to this quasar i mean yeah dude I was surprised he would even willingly leave the the area. I, w- I would much more expect Kirk to say, to say sorry, I'm stuttering now. <laughs> I expected him to say, you know, I'm going to stay behind. Me and whichever three or four volunteers I can get, we're going to take a shuttlecraft and we're going to survey the area until we find our missing crewmen, at least evidence that they're dead. And then we will rendezvous with you, you know, at our next stop or something like that. Right, and then uh, Galactic High Commissioner, whatever his title was, that mm-hmm. uh, could could have taken the Enterprise to the planet, mm-hmm. to the mission, brought him back, brought it back yeah. to, to Quasar. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. It just didn't seem like Kirk to kind of accept defeat and accept this guy's command. Like, yeah, just, just tell your boss no. You know, <laughs> Sorry, bud, we're not going to leave until we find these. If I have to confine you to our brig and be reprimanded later on, I'll do it. We've seen uh, Spock, you know, not not only was he nearly in uh, the menagerie, not only was he nearly going to lose his job and career, but he was going to be executed for mm-hmm. de- breaking these rules. And it's like, well, Kirk, wouldn't you do the same thing for your homie Spock? Like, <laughs> <laughs> help him out. He's, he's still alive. You don't know that. You maybe, And maybe that's the deciding factor too is they don't have evidence that the crew is still alive and trying. As far as they know, they could have you know, detonated the ship before they even crash landed on a planet. Yeah. So that's hard, but there's always options. (laughs) This episode was pretty good. I liked it quite a bit. I, I want to talk a little bit about Spock's character progression because I think we've seen a a theme between this episode and the, I can't can't remember the name of the one with the Romulans from a couple of weeks ago, but. Oh yeah. I don't remember either (laughs) Uh, off the top of my head. We've seen this idea that Spock it doesn't belong like people think that Spock doesn't belong on a human crew with the, the on the Enterprise and that yeah. his his way of thinking logically is it kind of but he butts heads a lot with other people because of his his Vulcanness. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. Is that the arc that his character is going to be taking through the rest of the season? Because we're about halfway through the season now yeah. at this point. Yeah, and I think a lot of him is analyzing humanity from outside of humanity. And it's hard because there's a lot of times where he's right and to not to not put a bunch of emotion into his decision, but to stop and think rationally and logically, you know, it makes sense even as a human. But there's sometimes where it's like, well, you need to be, you know, compassionate in certain situations to be able to work with humans or to make human human decisions. So I don't know. I, I like his perspective. I like that we get to see his his perspective and his growth and development. Because I think like you compared him to Data, we're supposed to be not just understanding his lack of uh, compassion, but he's supposed to be learning our compassion and learning how to be more human. Because though he is human and has human uh, capabilities and potential, he was raised to be Vulcan on planet Vulcan and raised to be humiliated really to be a human. So he's so long tried to shut those out. And now, you know, it's, it's kind of advantageous sometimes to maybe embrace or encourage some of those human traits. Yeah. I guess looking at just the original series in a bubble, it it's hard to picture exactly what they're trying to do with Spock's character. But if you take into account uh, the wrath of Khan specifically uh, mm-hmm. his, his character, development especially in the last couple episodes makes a lot of sense of him f- f- trying 
trying to either discover or fight his Vulcan versus his human side. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, the arc through the Wrath of Khan actually makes a lot more sense in that from that perspective. But we'll get to there in about, you know, <laughs> several <laughs> <a> while, several <laughs> months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK. Did you what, what was your moral or message from this story? This episode? Uh, what I got from it was that people don't really care about plagues no matter what time they're living in. <laughs> And that more should be done about that. Um, What the episode was saying in general was. I think that there are different ways that you can look at things and. Okay. My biggest takeaway is that logic is subjective. There's Mm -hmm. no one person's logic that is right versus another person's logic, in my opinion, because. Like if there was another Vulcan on on the ship that had a totally different background from Spock, what didn't start in like the sciences, but was rather in command, mm-hmm. a command logic decision is different than a science logic decision. So I, I think that your experiences and your education, your upbringing all build to what you perceive as logic. Yeah. And so it's... logic is subjective and that people that have budding like different, uh, different viewpoints on how command works should work mm-hmm. together r- and figure out the best way rather than just overstep their bounds and overtake anybody else's opinion. I agree. That is deep. That I, I makes just thought lot- of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that, that makes a lot of sense though too. I like how you explain like the different, even Vulcans who use the same kind of logic and mindset, but raised or studied in different fields could look at a situation with a different perspective, you know, based in the same logic, but they wouldn't agree or may not agree. Uh, because logic is subjective. That's smart. And it's something that like you have to be able to to explain why your why your logic is right, why what you're suggesting makes sense to somebody. So if you can't reason it with somebody, then it can't be proven logical. So it's yeah, it's only logical if it can be if if you can convince somebody that it makes sense, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's uh I never thought of it that way. I would just kind of assume like there's a right and a wrong to everything. So there's a logical and an illogical response to everything. <laughs> but uh, that's pretty smart. Yeah, you're deep. All right. <laughs> My, <laughs> it just got me think like so much, so much Vulcan stuff. Now I got to go back and like, wait a minute. Was that yeah. really? I don't think illogical? they were trying to say that, but that's, that's what I'm going to go with. And yeah. we, sorry to totally cut you off, but uh, no, no. there's a, a Vulcan character that I think they're going to have in season three of Star Trek Lower Decks. That we oh. see in the second to last episode of season two. And she's different than most of the Vulcans around her. And I really want to see if they play with that perception of logic with mm-hmm. her. Because she, her character seems perfectly set up for that. And if you haven't seen it, you should watch Lower Decks, that episode. Uh, I'm like two episodes behind, I think, right now. <laughs> oh, man, you got the best two episodes left. So you're good. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So my moral message was never give up, never surrender. Heck yeah. So I was thinking like, because. There's so many times where it seems hopeless and even they mentioned a couple times, I don't remember the exact words that Spock used, but he said more or less there's always uh, alternative options or always other avenues, other things you can try. And he was telling that to Scotty and that's where, you know, Scotty eventually was like, well, you know, I think we could probably convert our phaser energy into a fuel. And so, boom, okay, we have an alternate fuel source. And then when they were, <laughs> that Scotty repeating that to him, I think is what it was on the shuttle once they were in orbit, 45 mm-hmm. minutes left. And he's like, well, this is all we can do. And Scotty's like, oh, uh, uh, was it? You know, you once told me that there's always other avenues or other, you know, ways it can be done and uh, options. And Bones was like, oh, God, I'm, I'm glad. At least if I'm going to die, I lived long enough to see you admit that you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but then Spock thinks about it a little bit. And he's like, no, wait, we could either burn our fuel for 45 minutes or burn it all right now and look like a candle in the night. So sure enough, they burned it all and that was just enough for what they needed. So yeah. like, I, don't give up. There's always different, different avenues you could take. And I like that line from Spock too, because it's, it's very much challenge your own perception of your situation. Like you're screwed, but are mm-hmm. you really, there's always another option. There's always, there's always something out there. And that yeah. doesn't seem like a logical response, but yeah. from his perspective, it absolutely is a logical response and it's, it's great. Yeah. There's always hope if you're not dead yet exactly yeah 
Which again, I don't. I mean, I, I was just thinking out too. That nobody considered like, hey, maybe we can just live on this planet. Like, we can use what little resources we have from the shuttle to go find a safe spot away from these weird creatures and maybe live in some trees or something like that. But yeah, there's always options. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So I gave this episode an A minus. I thought it was good writing. Uh, it builds a lot of suspense, especially when once they launch and then they use their their thrusters, their 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 full fuel source supply, and then they're gonna crash and you know or burn up. And they get beamed out just in time. I just didn't like the characters for the creatures from the planet. They were just not done well. And then just not, I don't think they were written to be seen at all. And then when we do see them, they're just disappointing. So, yeah, I think I'd give this episode a B. Okay. Uh, it w- wasn't a fantastic episode. It was definitely well written to, mm-hmm. uh, to a point. I had gripes with the the people the, with the humans on board arguing with Spock so much and they, it kind of took a, a bit of a nasty turn between them that I thought Spock was right about the entire time and nobody mm-hmm. was willing to see to either a respect the rank or to be just take him at his word with experience that he kind of knows what he's doing even though it's his first command he's been a commander like he's the mm-hmm. second in command on on the ship just, no yeah. have a isn't he faith. like 400 years old or something I don't know how old he is here. Yeah. Um, I know they, I, they live hundreds of years. Yeah, I, I'd have to look that up to know for sure. I was under, I, some reason I was thinking they live to be like 200 or like something like that. They like uh, double okay. the lifespan of a human. But I think he's still pretty young. Like he's he's like in his 40s or 30s or something here. Uh, Maybe I'm mixing him up with T'Pol from Enterprise because I know she <laughs> she's very young. Anyway, yeah, I give it a B. It was a good episode. Uh, the remaster helped out a lot. Um, yes the creatures were bad definitely good a good evidence of the effectiveness of the remasters that was a a big good change all right uh thank you all for joining us if you like what you heard don't forget to subscribe check us out on geekfreakspodcast.com check out our twitter facebook instagram uh send us questions if you guys have any questions for us on how we do this or anything like that or if you have questions that you would like us to read at the beginning of our episode let us know we'd love to you know interact with you more uh, if you guys can't, if you want to see our next episode, it's going to be uh, season one, episode 17, The Squire of Gothos or Gothos, Gothos. We'll see. I'm going to go with Gothos, The Squire of Gothos. We'll okay. see when we get to the episode. <laughs> right. But until then, transporter room, two to beam up.